Hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of the Over the Line Sports Layup Line. Today's just going to be big March Madness recap day. We were not quite as adamant on this as we wanted to be, like it seems to be every time a lot of schoolwork came up, but we are here just right after the tournament ended, basically picking up the scraps of what was left of our brackets. Yeah, I'm I'm gutted. I will not get to it. I marginally beat him in our bracket challenge, so shout out to me. Neither of us were impressive, though. It's nothing that I want to actually recollect with fond memories because it was just a bunch of shrapnel of what I thought was NCAA knowledge. But without further ado, we'll talk about the NCAA tournament finishing, of course, with our champions finally being crowned. You can see Tar Heels falling in a gutting loss to Kansas by three. We don't have to start with that right away, but what a game that was. Largest comeback in NCAA history on the back of beating Duke for their first matchup and just have it go out like that. That was that was kind of gutting to see. I was I felt bad for him. Yeah, it would have been a crazy championship for them too, coming in as the eighth seed. Hell of a run from North Carolina that I don't think anyone really saw coming, but it's unfortunate that they kind of choked in that second half. But give credit to Kansas. They're a great team all season. Deserving winners. Yeah, you kind of mentioned our brackets already. I think this was the worst bracket I've ever had in my entire life. Like just absolutely shredded after round one. It was it was brutal. I mean, the first day even, like Iowa got knocked out first day. Yeah. So I had in my final four and Kentucky got knocked out by St. Peter's and they were my championship pick. So I was basically done after day one. It was it was not good this year. It was a, it was a rough bracket for me. I... I can't remember a March Madness where I had, I legitimately felt like my picks were good this year. I, there were very few picks where I was like, you know what, this one could a hundred percent go the other way. I was like, you know what, I should do okay. And well, the games go down, how they go down and <laughs> my record speaks for itself. I think it is probably one of the worst March Madnesses I've ever had, if not like top three worst, but we'll, we'll move on, I guess, from that. And I guess, I guess shout out to St. Peter's now that you mentioned them. I mean, one of the best runs we've seen beating a two and, or sorry, would that have been a two and three C back to back? Not back to back, but they did beat a two sorry. and a three. Yeah, sorry, two, two and three in three games. Yeah, that was what an unbelievable span of a tournament it was for St. Peter's. Uh, Sheen Holloway gets the job at Seton Hall, too. That was pretty cool to see uh, going back to where he used to play college. And then all three of uh, <laughs> St. Peter's big three declaring it to go to the transfer portal to, I assume, seek D1 offers. So shout out to them capitalizing on the moment. Our rest in peace to the St. Peter's dynasty that was just birthed and killed in the next week following their elimination. But yeah, I guess without further ado, I guess we'll just, we'll talk about the tournament really. I mean, like we'll kind of start, we could go sector to sector. We'll start in the West. Gonzaga falling to Arkansas for me, that was probably one of the biggest ones. Arkansas defensively, like you had talked about when we originally did this episode, was going to pose a threat to especially a team like Gonzaga where Chet Holmgren's not the biggest big. I, I don't know. That one, that one really surprised me. I thought after Memphis barely lost to Gonzaga, I was like, you know what? They're going to come out convincing against Arizona. They're going to come out on a streak. And I don't know, Ar- Ar- or Arkansas really just... I don't know, took advantage of what they saw and took a team that barely beat Memphis and took advantage, I guess. But what really stands out to you about the West side this this year? On the West side? Well, I mean, yeah, Gonzaga losing to Arkansas was obviously a shocker. That goes without saying. I feel like I wasn't quite as high on Gonzaga as a lot of people were, but I definitely expected them to win that game. Even though I was a, I was a big Arkansas fan, I even put a little bit of money on them winning it all before the tournament started. And then right after that Gonzaga win, I was like, oh, it might happen. And then then they choked in the next round and played awful. So <laughs> aside from that one, though, I'm trying to think like the West, the West was mostly chalk, right? Like it was kind of the the least 
upsetty of all of the regions, I guess. The only big one was New Mexico State that almost went on a could have been on a fat run if they had beaten Arkansas after beating UConn in the first round. Um, yeah, that was the only one that was really any anything but shock. Everything else was well, and Notre Dame beating Alabama. But you and I both had I'm pretty sure both had said Notre Dame might have won that. But yeah, um, yeah, the one to four all made it through though. That's like all made it into the Sweet 16. That proved to be very rare in this tournament. Yeah. Yeah, the West, the West, I guess, honestly, was fairly boring. I mean, now that we're looking back at it. Yeah, Duke, Duke coming out of the West, of course, to face North Carolina, the eventual uh, appearance in the final. I guess we might we might as well just skip right over to the South. Houston beating Arizona, especially by the margin of 12, was pretty big for me. And I mean, that's kind of, again, cherry-picking arguably the best game of the Sweet 16 or one of them. But besides that, there was... There's a little bit of movement. I mean, Michigan going back to back beating Colorado State and Tennessee. That was that was a bit impressive, especially beating Tennessee. I I'm pretty sure I had them slotted in to go to my Elite Eight, if I remember correctly, but I could be wrong. But what do what do you take out of the South? I mean, it seems like in general the top side of the bracket was less bad for me. <laughs> there wasn't a huge amount of shockers here for me. I was really high on Chattanooga. I really wanted them to upset Illinois. They were playing so well. They had to lead the whole game. And then right at the end, Illinois pulls it out and wins by one. That one, that one really hurt. <laughs> that was a heartbreaker. But Houston ended up going on a run. That was a little bit of a surprise, though. I think Houston in general is a team that is just going to consistently do better in March Madness. I think a team that plays the way they do, just super physical, really good on rebounds, uh, really good defensively. I think those kind of teams play better in March Madness because of the fact that there's a little bit less foul calls you're allowed to get away with a little bit more and a physical aggressive team like them kind of benefits from that. So this is the second year in a row. We've seen them go on a pretty big run in March Madness. And I wouldn't be surprised if that trend continues. Otherwise though, like there wasn't a huge amount of surprises here. Like I really liked Villanova. I'm not shocked to see them go on a run, make the final four. Uh, Tennessee losing to Michigan was a surprise, but I did have Michigan beating Colorado state. And a, a team with as much talent as Michigan had, I wasn't like shocked to see them pull off that win. They were just really inconsistent all season. So I wasn't that high on them, but I, I'm not shocked that they beat Tennessee. So for the most part, the South region was not like too surprising. A few picks that didn't go my way. I had, I had some upset picks in this region that didn't pan out. So it was not ideal, but it didn't hurt me as much as uh, some of the regions that we're about to get into. Yeah, uh, without further ado, I'll move right into the East. And I'll let you take the East because the East was very exciting for a lot of reasons, um, including one team that we'd alluded to within the first two minutes, I guess, of this podcast starting. So I'll let you take it away. Yeah, I don't even know where to start with the East. Um, we can pretty much we can pretty much talk uh, about anything we want here. I mean, obviously, I had Kentucky as my championship pick, and Purdue was kind of my backup championship pick. Both of them got knocked out by St. Peter's, so... That one, that one hurt. <laughs> you know, I, I was very happy for St. Peter's and I kind of got on the St. Peter's bandwagon right after they beat Purdue. I was like, you know what? Now I'm cheering for St. Peter's and then they lost. So they kind of, you know, I was kind of going against them the whole tournament. They kept crushing my teams. Even Murray State was another team that I really liked. So they beat three teams in a row that I was really high on. And I was like, you know what? Now I'm on the St. Peter's bandwagon and then they lost. So that was, uh, that was frustrating. But we ended up with an eight seed winning this side of the bracket and they beat a 15 seed in like the the championship game of this bracket so i think that pretty much sums up why the east was kind of crazy this year we saw baylor go out in the second round kentucky out in the first round purdue out in the third round so right right there you got the one two three all getting knocked out and pretty massive upsets so this was a crazy region (laughs) yeah 
not much else to say. I was just about to say that you kind of took everything. I will say a quick shout out to Norfolk State, keeping it close in the first round against Baylor. They only lost by 36. And yeah, besides that, I mean, again, what a great run that was for St. Peter's. I remember I did the exact same thing, actually, as you, uh, Tristan, right now. He'll, he'll remember this. I convinced us to bet on St. Peter's against a very sizely outmatched game against UNC. And that didn't pan out too well. So I did the same thing you did. I hopped in the wagon late. But like you, Purdue was, Purdue was, I think, my favorite, if not second favorite out of the East. And it played out how it played out. So shout out St. Peter's. Shout out everybody from that, including the $20 that Betway made off of us. So we'll leave that there. And I guess to kind of split the pot here, I'll let you take the Midwest as well, since we're straight across the pond there. Yeah, the Midwest. This was a region where I thought we were going to see a lot of upsets. And all the upsets ended up being the ones I hadn't predicted. So I was not that high on Miami. I was not very high on Iowa State either. Both of them ended up going deep into this tournament, which I did not expect at all. On the flip side, I was really high on South Dakota State as a potential underdog. They ended up falling to Providence in the first round. Pretty competitive game. Providence pulled away a little bit at the end, but like that game was was mostly close. But the big one was Richmond upsetting Iowa for me. Like that one, that one just destroyed my bracket and and really pissed me off because I wanted to see Iowa play and then ended up going to see Providence versus Richmond instead. And Providence beat them by almost thirty points. So I I got a pretty clunky game there was not that much fun to watch i was pissed off at richmond uh for knocking out my team kansas obviously ended up winning the region which isn't too surprising i did have iowa beating them but like kansas is a great team i kind of said those are the two teams i thought had the best chance of pulling through this bracket auburn auburn falling early actually didn't shock me that much either they just have really inconsistent guard play but i mean i was not expecting miami to beat them like that was that was another pretty surprising upset just because Miami was not that good it didn't seem like all season I mean the ACC came to play in this tournament everyone was talking trash about the ACC all year they're like they weren't doing anything in out of conference play like North Carolina had a bad out of conference record Miami had a bad out of conference record like these teams didn't look that good I mean the ACC only I think they only had four teams in the tournament this year after typically having like seven to eight six at least usually like they only had four this year Wake Forest didn't even get in as like the fifth best team in the ACC. Like it was a bad conference all year. People were talking trash about it. And then we come into the tournament, North Carolina makes the championship. Duke makes the final four. Miami goes on a deep run to the elite eight. Like the ACC came to play and they, they proved the doubters wrong this year in the tournament, which sucked for me because I was betting against the ACC for the most part coming into this tournament. Yeah. I, there, there's not my, like, you kind of just take all my points like I, I take yours sometimes. But, I mean, yeah, the biggest one for me was Auburn for sure, and especially getting 18-piece by Miami. I did not expect that. Um, and then they, of course, beat Iowa State and then got steamrolled by Kansas, which I figured was soon to come. And then I guess we can talk about our, the Final Four really quick. Duke UNC, I think, was a lot closer than I had expected it to be, let alone them beating Duke. There were a few mistakes for Duke down the stretch that I think were a bit questionable. Missed free throws were definitely uh, something to be – to be accounted for. But besides that, I, I was just really surprised by the result. Baycott played great. Caleb Love had probably his best game of the tournament, in my opinion. Uh, he played fantastic. But I think besides that, I, I I don't know. I just did not expect it to pan out like that. Like seeing UNC there and their first appearance or their first game against Duke ever being in the Final Four, I think the height of that situation was just so huge. And to see Coach K's career end on the back of that was kind of 
it was reverse poetic, I guess, if you want to call it that, because I don't want to piss on his grave, but it both was cool, but also sucked to see that his career was over off the back of that. But it was still the spectacle itself was amazing. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that North Carolina was Coach K's first ever loss, and it's also his last ever loss. It was also his last ever loss at home when they beat him in their like regular season finale. So North Carolina was just spoiling Duke all season. It seemed like, yeah, Duke just... Duke looked like the better team like every time that they didn't play each other but then when they'd go up against each other North Carolina usually got the best of them it was a close game Caleb loved though man the guy just took over that second half he was hitting some ridiculous shots like that last step back dagger was I I, that one reminded me of the Lonzo Ball UCLA one where he stepped back and just flung it from the side (laughs) 30 feet and he just knew it was going in too like right when he came off the screen I knew he was shooting and I knew it was going in yeah. yeah, he played great. And Baycott, that was, Baycott was huge down the stretch. I, I think if Baycott doesn't get hurt in the national championship, I think that game's a bit different. I think I think floorboard gate has some traction. I think it, I think yeah, it I mean, maybe about the I've heard a lot about that loose floorboard and how it costs in the game, but I don't know. I think off of how well Baycott played the entire tournament, I think there's definitely some weight. There's a rock rolling down a hill to that argument. But there is I mean, a, yeah. They battled a lot. North Carolina battled. They dominated the first half of that championship game. Yeah, they did. I mean, you got nobody but yourselves to blame when you blow a 15-point lead that you had coming yeah, into the second half. Exactly. You know, They were so. completely in the driver's seat. It was crazy because you look back on you look back on the game and there was six and a half, seven minutes left, and it was 25-25. It was like 25-25 or 27-25. It was pretty much identical. Seven yeah. minutes left, it was pretty much identical score. And then they just went on the whole run. It was like a 14-0 run or something like that. It was it, yeah. was it was nuts. Yeah, they just got hot and then just were not in the second half, especially down the stretch. Again, missed free throws like Battle Duke. It was the same with UNC. They missed, I think they missed converting on two one-on-ones in the last three minutes. But, yeah, that is, some of that was tough. But the game itself was so entertaining. Yeah. I've, after the all the way that UNC got and all the teams that they beat, I, I would have thought it would be pretty cool for them to win in the uh, in the final, but not to be, I guess. I mean, we kind of just jumped right into the national championships, but I don't know if you want to talk about the Kansas Villanova a yeah, little bit also. You can, you can take the reins on that one because we complete, I, I completely glossed over that one. Yeah, I mean, I want to give Villanova their credit. They had a hell of a tournament, hell of a season. Colin Gillespie feels like he's been in college forever, like six years or something at this point, but hell of a tournament from him, of course. Not really that surprising. Um, yeah, they were a team I was really high on, and Kansas played great all tournament. I'm, I'm really happy for them. Like, great job by Ochai Agbaji, especially. Like, the guy was just playing amazing. Another guy that's been in college forever, really. But I think he has a chance to even be a lottery pick this year with the way he's been playing. And Christian Brown also had a really good tournament. I like him a lot. I think he has possible first-round potential. Kind of like Franz Wagner a little bit from last year. Not quite as big, but I see a lot of similarities in their game in terms of defensive versatility, ability to kind of just do a little bit of everything on offense. I think he's a little bit better of a shooter, not quite as lanky or athletic. So a little bit similar to Franz, but I, I like Christian Brown a lot as well. But I don't know if we want to get into some prospect talk a little bit because it kind of connects pretty well to March Madness. Yeah, we we definitely can. I guess, yeah, with with like you had alluded to, I guess, with the NBA draft coming up, we could talk about some guys who draft stocks maybe have rise, draft stocks maybe have fallen. Give me someone from the top 10, and then we'll debate where they're at, if they've shifted or not coming out of the tournament. All right. Sure, we can do that. 
how do you feel about Paolo Bancaro's draft stock after this tournament? It's still kind of hard for me to justify Paolo's draft stock slipping because I don't think, I think at times he was kind of expected to play a different role throughout the tournament. He played a lot more of a two-way game than I expected him to play, although he is a very, he's a very usable asset on the defensive end. I didn't expect it to be as, I don't know, as he seemed almost a lot more of his plays coming on defense than on offense. Like he was, he was super active on a lot of switches and he was really key down the stretch in a few of their closer games. But I don't think he slid down that much for me. I think maybe the lowest, maybe the lowest he slipped for me is maybe four or five, if that, but I still don't think you can justify him sliding out of the top three. The biggest thing for me, and honestly, I don't, I don't want to make it sound redundant from the beginning of the year and something that he got over, but I think him, whether or not that sweat issue from the beginning of the year is still a problem. I think that could definitely still be a thing that could haunt him. I know a lot of people are kind of have put that out of their minds, whether or not it is relevant still or not, but I still, I think it is something that whether or not that comes back to play in the future for him and be something that he has to deal with. I think that is kind of still a question mark, but um, he, he does need to get a bit more quicker on his feet. I think to handle some of the more intimidating switches at the pro level, he is good in terms of size, like being able to move him around the floor, but in terms of athleticism and quickness on the defensive end, he isn't really at the level you want him to be going into such a competitive league, like the NBA, like much different than college, but he still opens the door a lot for teammates. So I don't see him, his incision in the league being that big of a problem. So I think I'd say probably a floor at top five, but that's just me. It's interesting. You kind of seem, it seemed like you were a little bit, less interested in him after this March Madness. He kind of seemed to be a little bit down, but I actually kind of went the opposite way. I think his play in this tournament impressed me more than anything. Like I've actually bumped him up a little bit on my list. I I still don't know who my number one is, to be honest with you, but he's, he's firmly in that conversation now. And I've always had him in my top four, but like my top four is just getting more and more difficult to decide right now. Like I like Jaden Ivy a lot. And that it seems like most people kind of have a top three, but to me, Ivy is, is firmly in that top four. And I just kind of go back and forth between all four of those guys. And it's, it's Paulo, it's Jaden Ivy, Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren. I yeah. thought Paulo had the best tournament out of the four. I, I thought he, he looked a lot better creating his own shot in comparison to the other forwards and Chet and Jabari defensively. I've never loved him defensively, but I think he's, he's solid enough on that end that it's not really a huge concern for me. I don't know. I thought he had a great tournament and helped lead Duke to the final four, made some big shots. I've been impressed with him all season, but I actually think my opinion of him was slightly improved by this tournament. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want my, my review to be misconstrued. I still think he is at least at the top five pick, as I was saying, like, I still think his floor is the top five pick and I think he will get taken inside the top three. He didn't really diminish. He didn't lose any stock for me, but he didn't gain that much. Like a year was kind of just, he did more of the same things, just better in the tournament. So, I mean, it's not really anything else that I saw that I was like, wow, he has to be the number one pick now because I feel like that's kind of what I would need to separate him from the pack. Because as you said, I think it could go a bunch of different ways. And I also think too, I think talking about guys who could be in a top four, top five, I think we saw more of Keegan Murray. I think we definitely, I think this could be a lot different. He's one guy that I was really actually looking forward to see coming into the tournament. Um, and a guy that a lot of NBA scouts are considering still one of the better players, more pro-ready players in the class. I think if you give him another game or two, like we got to see out of a lot of these top prospects, I think he definitely rises to like kind of Jaden Ivy territory, top five, top four, if not like past that, that like six, seven, where most people have him at now. Yeah. I don't want to give my own board away too much because I'm probably going to release an article at some point and we'll get into that more in depth once I do that. But 
I, I currently have him number seven on my board. I was really hoping I'd get to see him live. Really, really hoping he would be in that Buffalo game. Uh, man, I was so frustrated when they lost that. But yeah, obviously Iowa going out in the first round. Didn't really, we didn't get to see enough of him in this tournament to really change his stock too much, but he's been great all season. So, I mean, for me, his stock didn't really go up or down based on this tournament. It was just, we just didn't really get enough uh, out of him. They just, they got eliminated in the first round. It's not, not enough sample size there really, but. No, unfortunately, he's a guy that I definitely thought would have been huge for them in the tournament too. It sucks that we didn't get to see more than a game, but it is what it is. We'll see him in the pros. Yeah. All right. Do we want to just get into some of the biggest risers and fallers on my list? Is that, is that yeah, a good way of yeah, doing this? Yeah, you give, you give me one of your names and just start rhyming off with why you think they're a riser or a faller, and then I can just, okay. I guess, from there. Okay, so my biggest riser was Caleb Love. I think it kind of goes without saying that the the clutch play we saw from him in this tournament, like that just, that intrigues me a lot. I think being able to prove that you could play in those high-pressure moments like he did, and he was just so good in the Final Four and the Elite Eight, like he had a couple of really amazing games in this tournament. He was hitting some big shots. Like that really intrigues me. I like his size. Kind of reminds me a little bit of like a Colin Sexton, a guy that just all he can really do is score. He's not great defensively, not a great passer. He's never going to be like a superstar, but I, I could see him really thriving in a Colin Sexton kind of role. And to me, like he rose a lot on my list. I think I had him somewhere around like 58th or 60th coming into the tournament. And he's he's closing in on my first round bubble now. Like I have him in my top 35 now, which is a pretty massive rise uh, based on like an uh, incredible tournament from him. And I think just being able to play into clutch is a really important attribute and he proved that he has it. So that's a big part of why he rose so much for me. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that at all. I mean, exactly like you said, what we saw in the final four was huge. I mean, dropping 28 in your first ever matchup with Duke in the, especially in the final four and so many points coming down the stretch, two for two from the line right at the end. I mean, just he did have a great, a great game, and not only that, but a great tournament. So I, I could definitely agree he's one hundred percent a riser in my book. Let's see who else rose and who else? I don't know if it's hard to say anyone like fell necessarily because I feel like most of the guys that underperformed, they just got knocked out in round one. Really, it's like how much do you want to, how much do you want to throw into a one game sample size? <laughs> I don't know. I think if someone, someone kind of hurt their stock a little bit with me, it's probably like Hyung Jun Lee. I thought he didn't play that great in the athletic 10 championship game. And then the very next game, their March madness match didn't play all that great either. So that kind of hurt me a little bit back to back important games that he just, he didn't really play all that well. So he dropped a bit on my stock, but for the most part, nobody like really dropped down a lot for me in terms of other guys that rose. I like what I saw from Wendell Moore from Duke. I don't know if you, do you have any thoughts on Wendell Moore? But um, I, to be honest, I wasn't watching him too closely, so I don't want to. I don't want to give my part. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I liked what I saw from him as a potential role player in the NBA. Like I think, you know, Duke obviously they got their their two main guys in Paulo and um, and AJ Griffin. Those are kind of their two main guys, and then even Mark Williams at the center spot. So they just have so much talent on that team that someone like Wendell Moore just needs to fill that role as like kind of the, the tertiary kind of third or fourth option for them. And I thought he did a really great job of that. Looked amazing on defense. A lot of the time, very versatile and he could shoot really well, good athlete. So I just think he projects well as a role player in the NBA. And I think once you, once you get out of those kind of like top 10, top 15 sort of guys, you're looking for someone that's 
not necessarily going to be a star, but it's just going to be able to fill a role in the NBA. And I think Wendell Moore is a guy that can really do that. So his stock grows a little bit for me. You had mentioned Christian Brown and he he was one guy I was going to talk about as well. Just really quick. I, I don't know what it was about watching him in that final game, but he was very, he was very physical. And I, I like the brand of basketball I saw from him. Like he grabbed 12, he grabbed, he went for 12 and 12 as a guard, which he is a bit lankier than most, but he did play really well, just attacking the glass and kind of following his misses and following other teams, other guys misses. But I, I don't know. I think a guy like that, especially, I think he was ranked somewhere between 35 and 40 on the last ESPN rank I saw. But I think he could be kind of a lower first round guy, somewhere between 25 and 32. So they need like more of an elite, like wing guard guy, but, I don't know. I like what he saw, what I saw at least in the final two games of, of their run, but I think he could definitely be a guy a little bit more polished on, on the offensive side. I think could definitely be an asset to a lot of teams. Yeah. I mean, he's 29th on my board. So you kind of hit the nail on the head for where I have him. I think late first round, early second round, it's probably where he's going to go. And I think that's a good spot for him. Another guy kind of like I just mentioned with Wendell Moore, he's someone that I think he's just going to be a really good role player. Like he's someone that's very smart player can do a little bit of everything. I liked what I saw from him defensively can guard on the perimeter has a little bit of versatility. Yeah. He's aggressive. He's physical. I, I really like him. I, yeah. Not much else to add on top of what you just said. I thought he had a great tournament him and Ochai Baji, uh, both of them for Kansas rose on my board a little bit. Agbaji, I, I see as a potential lottery guy, uh, which is, which is rare for a senior. Um, but I think he's just really talented. So I like him a lot. Another guy that's, Great shooter, great athlete, good defender. So I think he's going to be a good player in the NBA. Could kind of fill a role. That That's something that I think goes overlooked a lot of times. Every team is just trying to strike gold, but sometimes you don't need to strike gold. You just need those guys that are going to fill their role and do it well. And I think both Brown and Okbaji project to be really good role players in the NBA. Yeah, I, I really can't say that any better than you did. If you're talking about maybe a fringe guy out of all the guys that we saw in the tournament, guys who are rising and falling, is there anybody... I, I guess kind of give it a scope with this, but is there any guy that you could say maybe breaking into a next tier of the draft, like anyone going into the, maybe breaking into the top five or some guy on the fringe of the top 10 breaking in? Like, is there anyone that you kind of saw after the tournament that may have broken into a, a higher tier that someone maybe other teams should be like paying attention to? Um, I don't know if anyone like that high up changed too much for me. I think Akbaji is maybe the biggest like example. I think I had him maybe like 18th on my board and he's now 13th. So in terms of someone that is in that kind of top 10 area, he might've had the biggest rise for me. I did, I got Paulo at number one right now, which I'm still not sure about. He was actually number three on my board coming into the tournament. So that's a pretty big rise, I guess, in terms of, you know, very top end. But like I said, like my one, two, three, four, I could kind of flip a coin, you know, a four-sided coin, I guess. <laughs> you could, you could convince me of any of those guys being the the number one prospect and I don't really have a huge preference there. I think it ultimately depends on team fit. I think Chet is probably going to be the best defensively, especially if you can get him next to a big guy. Like what we saw with Mobley this year, I think Chet projects to be very similar to him. I think just having someone that good defensively, plus his kind of unicorn sort of potential, I think the potential with Chet might be the best in this class, but there's there's some concerns there, obviously. And I don't know... I don't know how much he's going to offer offensively, at least initially. I don't know. We'll see with him. Jabari, on the other hand, like Jabari just can shoot like crazy shooter. Like he's sort of Kevin Durant without the handles to me on offense. Like that's kind of the best way I can, I can think of him. And even when I say handles, like I think what makes Kevin Durant so deadly that Jabari Smith doesn't have 
is just counters. Like yeah. you, you stop Durant one way, he counters and does something else. With Jabari, it seems like he kind of knows what he wants to do before he even starts it, and he just does it. And sometimes it's really well defended, and he just ends up taking a bad shot. And I haven't really seen him be able to you know, put a bunch of moves together in the way that Durant kind of does. And so with Jabari, you just see someone that he was 6'10", good athlete, can really shoot, can create off the dribble. But I just don't know. I don't know how, how well he projects as a number one guy. And if he's not the number one guy, he's probably just kind of a three and D sort of guy, which is fine. But I'm just not, I'm not sold on Jabari either. Like <laughs> I could pretty much go with all four of these guys and give you my pros and cons. And I'm not, I'm not totally sold on any of them as a legitimate number one guy. Paulo, I think defensively isn't as strong as the two other guys I just mentioned. I think he's a little bit better in terms of creating his own shot and creating for others off, off the dribble. His passing is a little bit better, especially than Jabari. But even then, I'm not I'm not fully sold on Paulo either as a number one guy. And then Jaden Ivey was actually I'm I'm seriously considering him as my number one guy. I think his game translates a lot better to the NBA than it does in college, especially playing on a Purdue team that has a seven foot four center. They like to play big. There's so much congestion in the paint, and he's a guy that does a lot of his his work in the paint. Just an insane athlete that loves to drive to the net. And it's obviously a lot more difficult to do that when you got so much congestion in the paint. And I think coming into the NBA, he's going to have a lot more spacing around him, a lot more talent around him. And I think his game translates really well to the NBA, but even then I still have some issues with him. I don't think he's a great passer for a guard. He's his shooting is, is good, but it's not, it's not elite. I don't know. So even then, like all four of these guys have, I have some flaws with them and I don't know. I honestly don't know who I'm going to end up putting as my number one. I want to keep scouting them. I want to keep looking into the what they do in the draft combine and everything. But I think there is a really strong case to be made for any one of these four guys. Yeah, and I guess I guess with that being said, I mean, I guess we might as well wrap it up from here. I think we've really we've exhausted everything we wanted to uh, wanted to touch on here. Is there anything prospect wise that you maybe want to touch on before we wrap it up here? Any any last thought maybe? Sure. I, I kind of want to hear your thoughts on Chet. I don't know what you saw from him in this tournament and how you feel about him, but I think Chet is quite possibly the most interesting prospect we've seen in a long time. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on him. I think he's super unique and a lot of differing opinions on Chet, but I'm curious what you think. I think most, most like a lot of people that I've heard talk about Chet, I think the most attractive thing about at least his build in the modern game of basketball now is his potential. I don't think there are many players right now that are more pro ready in today's NBA and stylistically could fit an NBA offense better than Chet, like a seven footer athletic enough to switch on certain screens is still a great slasher. The ball can shoot, has a little bit of a handle can still create for teammates. He's pretty much like a reverse build of Jokic in a way. He's a bit taller. He's way skinnier. He has playmaking potential. The only thing that scares me about Chet is he's very frail. He is very frail. I don't think, especially with the physicality of some styles in the NBA, I don't think that his, the lack of his size will translate tremendously. I think, like you said, I think he he's one of the guys where you have to have a big guy next to him for him to be very effective. Because if he gets isolated as the only player in the paint, I really don't think that's a good look for him. His shot blocking potential is great, but in terms of back-to-basket centers, I don't think he's a good matchup. In saying that, I would not be completely shocked for most people who would have him as their number one, if not maybe a number two pick. I think really outside anywhere, anywhere outside the top three, I think would be a bit of a question mark for me because I think passing up on on the opportunity to get a player like Chet to really like, I don't know, create a spark plug within your franchise and get around a guy who 
really can do it all and is a guy who can use really any kind of build around him to succeed. I would say, especially shooting builds, of course, because he's not, he's not complete yet, but he needs to kind of polish these things off. Like he could be a bit quicker on switches, but besides that, maybe just putting on that 20 to 30 pounds of pro weight that I, I assume most people anticipate he gets. In saying that, I, I personally like Jabari Smith as a bit of a higher pick personally, um, just because he's a lot more of a switchable defender now and he is a bit bigger in terms of his size. He could kind of contend against other bigger bodies. But besides that, then as you said, neither are perfect and really none within this top five, if not top 10 are perfect. So I think really a lot of teams could go with any way they want, but I think going with Chet, you really can't, you can't scoff at the pick. I don't think he's a bad pick at all. I think he's very, he is very pro ready with a little bit of polishing. I think could probably be the best player in this class. Yeah. I think Chet probably has the highest potential of anyone in this class. I I think it's really tough to fully understand what Chet's going to be in the NBA because Frankly, we've never really seen a Chet Holmgren kind of player before. I don't know if we've ever had anything really all that close to a Chet Holmgren kind of player. I think the best comparison is like Evan Mobley, who we've seen for one season. Maybe uh, maybe Nick's Kristaps Porzingis is another kind yeah. of similar prospect. But there's not a lot of them that have Chet's sort of unicorn skill set plus his versatile defense. Like he's such a unique prospect to me and. I really think he would excel as a power forward next to a big center, but there's not a lot of teams that can, that can fit that offensively also without having a huge drop off. Like that, that's the big question mark for me. I just don't know how much value Chet brings offensively, at least until he, he adds a little bit more strength, you know, polishes his dribbling a little bit, can start shooting a little bit more consistently. Like, I don't know. He's kind of just right now, I think his best attribute offensively is being able to sort of fill in the dunker spot, almost like catching lobs, but it's hard to do that when you're also pairing him next to another center, because then that's kind of, they're both filling the same roles. And that's, that's where the concern a little bit comes with me offensively, but I think the long-term potential with someone like Chad is so intriguing. So I wouldn't be shocked to see him go number one. And I don't think it would be a bad pick either, but I'd also wouldn't be shocked to see him fall a little bit. I think, I think it kind of comes down to whether or not you feel like you have the pieces that you can surround him with that are going to maximize his potential. I think he's a little bit harder to fit into your lineup, but if you can find the right players to do it, he might have uh, the highest upside. So he's an interesting one for me. And I think it, it really comes down to team fit more than anything with him. Yeah, that's, that's what I think too. I, I think a team with a lot more draft capital or a lot less cemented talent within their franchise are more likely to take a player like Chet a player that they can kind of reinvent an offense around and in a way build around him. Um, I know with some of the teams who are drafting, they may already have a piece or two who they're kind of um, already anchoring in on a lot of future, hedging a lot of futures on, so to speak. But um, I think the potential of having Chet and almost unlocking his full skill set in the, in the modern NBA, I think would probably project him in my eyes to have the most upside because I think he could be the most integral part of a very beautiful modern offense in today's NBA. I mean, there aren't many teams that focus around a big centric offense, but for those situations where your check can isolate a matchup on one side of the court and just immediately create a, a nightmare on the other side, or even kick open to a free pass off a double. I mean, and he has very good vision, like much in part to his size and how tall he is being able to look over, but he's, he is probably the closest thing to a complete package. I would argue in this draft, I think he's very, he's not necessarily polished in a lot of aspects, but he's a lot further ahead in the summative amount of, I guess, aspects of his game than a lot of other players are. Yeah, I think it's a, it's an interesting NBA draft this year. It's going to be kind of crazy. I think 
we have the least like consensus number one we've ever had. Like, I don't know. I don't know who's going number one. Like it's, it's been a while since we've seen a situation like this where everyone kind of has a different opinion and there's a pretty strong case for a few different guys. Um, honestly, like I think my two favorite prospects that I've scouted this year are Scoot Henderson and Victor Wambanyama and both of them aren't even eligible to be drafted this year. So uh, Juan Binyama is going to be a problem. You've been telling me about him for a problem. And I'm seeing him a lot more now these days online and a lot on a lot of places. So I think it's, it's going to be crazy seeing what he's doing now at his age. It's crazy. I think he's, yeah, I think he's a more polished version of Chet while also having two inches on him, which is scary, <laughs> yeah. really scary. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens next year, but I think next year's draft class is a little bit stronger than this year's, but. I don't know. I, I think this is a really fun draft class with a lot of interesting prospects and I'm, I'm excited for the NBA draft. So I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit more in the coming months, but for now, you know, March Madness just happened. I think it's, it's worth talking about uh, what we saw and what we saw was interesting. <laughs> yeah. What we, what we saw was very interesting. We will see what the NBA draft lottery out the order will be actually on my birthday on Tuesday, May 17th. I think we'll have a better indication as to who's going where once that happens based on fit, as you had mentioned. I think the order will be very indicative of who's going where in the order. I think more so than many other years that we've seen previously. Because a lot of times, like, teams will take best player available, much like in the NFL. But I feel like this could definitely be a year with some of the teams that are in the top five where it really depends where they're picking. And I think a, lot, a few players could maybe slide. Like, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot could happen. A lot could happen depending on how things shake out. But I guess without further ado, we're going to wrap up the fifth episode of season two here. Be sure to check out our next episode that we're going to record. I would assume fairly soon after this, we're going to be recapping the NBA season, going a bit into uh, some playoff predictions along with our award race updates. There's been a small outcry from one person in our comments uh, for some recognition for somebody. I'm not going to give away who that is. If you want to, if you want to find out, go check out our Instagram post about it or look forward to our next episode for us to mention who we want to mention and who brought it up. And I guess without further ado, that'll wrap things up. Nolan, uh, besides your impending draft content and big board is there anything else that you want to uh, throw out to our viewers right now um nothing super urgent at the moment obviously i think we're going to get into we're going to do what we did last year probably with the awards ballot we'll probably name our our 10 nominees for each award and then have people vote on it but we'll get into that more in the next podcast i'm sure and then aside from that i really hope we do some live nba draft covers this year i've talked with curtis a little bit about it and i think it's probably going to happen so that's obviously way down the line, but kind of on topic with our podcast today. So, you know, hopefully you can look forward to that. And if you're watching the NBA draft later this year, you know, throw us on. You can uh, you can see our live draft coverage. So that'll be fun, I'm sure. Yeah, hop on uh, hop on Instagram live like we did last year with the uh, with the NFL draft or something like that. I'm sure we'll be able to uh, we'll be able to make that happen. But that has been the fifth episode of the Overline Sports Layup Line. Thank you guys, as always. For those of you watching the NBA in the coming weeks, I hope your team makes a push for the playoff spot. Besides the Los Angeles Fakers, I, I apologize for what your franchise has put you through this year. But now you know what it feels like to be a middling, semi-successful franchise. Of course, I'm talking about the Leafs. Hopefully, today this year's the year. I'm putting this out to every forum I can to spread positivity. So, go Leafs, go. And without further ado, nobody missed their layups, please. Just because Nolan said so, really, he hates seeing people miss layups. So have a great day, everybody. Look forward to episode six of the second season and peace out.